signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Max Fundrive Harrison. They told us you'll never have a Star Trek show popular enough to get the attention of anyone involved with the show (laughs) at any level. I'm here to throw this episode in their face. Yeah. This episode uh, could not have happened without, uh, A, the amazing uh, friends of DeSoto who, you know, give give us a big enough audience for this to be worth somebody like Mary Wiseman's time, but B, uh, without the great work of our producer, Rob Schulte, who went to uh, the uh, NPR show Ask Me Another uh, when they were doing it at the... Uh, at the bell house i want to say and uh mary wiseman was like a guest on the episode and he walked up to her after the show and said like hey i produced the greatest discovery and i think i think what he told us was like she had heard of the show and was like happy to meet him and uh you've probably heard her saying uh you know i'm mary wiseman aka captain killy here's Mm -hmm. here's the greatest discovery uh which which happened there and then, but uh, they also kind of made a tacit plan to one day get an interview going, and uh, and he finally was able to get it scheduled, and it was scheduled for earlier this year, but then uh, she had to go back to Toronto to shoot. So uh, very exciting that uh, that stuff is uh, is still happening. The pandemic hasn't slowed down the production of new Trek. This is why you have a producer. I know. And a so. boy, Robs, yeah. <laughs> boy, Robs. <laughs> um, man, I'm I'm really excited for people to hear this interview. Uh, Mary is uh, is just as delightful uh, on mic as she is on camera. And uh, I don't know. Should we should we stop stalling and just get right into it? God, so much buildup. <laughs> How could it possibly be? As good as what we've described. Well, you're about to find out. It's pretty fucking great. Yeah. Here's our interview with Mary Wiseman. Ben, I'm so excited to introduce an actor we've admired for three seasons on Star Trek Discovery uh, as one of our very favorite characters on the show. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, the star of Star Trek Discovery, Mary Wiseman. Hi. <laughs> She's actually two of our favorite characters on the show. And oh, I, right. I, yeah. I, I, I really wanted to ask, what's more fun, Tilly or Killy? Um, Killy is very fun for obvious reasons. I would say, like, maintenance-wise, <laughs> where the, like, leather and metal, <laughs> the hair and the makeup is not sustainable for me. Uh, but it, it is a very fun thing to get to dip into because, um, you know, it's just when you, like, grow up, playing pretend and stuff you always want to play the evil psychopath (laughs) is it uncomfortable because it looks like that is not a breathable garment yeah dog like i think anytime you're watching the show you can 100 percent assume i am physically uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) that sucks that's gonna add so much pathos to to my watching (laughs) i work with people who are exponentially more uncomfortable than me yeah anybody in prosthetics or yeah who wears hooves 
So don't feel bad for me is what I'm saying. I'm so glad you brought up Saru. How gross are his hands up close? Oh, they're so nasty. And Doug even says that they're just, you know, they're just absolute sex toys. <laughs> they're so gummy and they have a sort of velveteen texture on top. And then Doug, when he puts them on, has to like bathe his hands in baby powder to like get them in there to counteract the sweat. It's just <laughs> I get a I get a sweaty wrist just from wearing a watch. I can't imagine what's pouring out of his his dick finger gloves <laughs> at, the, at the end of a take. Truly, so he makes some horrifying noises. He's the sweetest man on earth, but he has to do horrible things to his body to live in that thing all day. And I've never been in the prosthetics trailer, but Emily Coots told me that at the end of the night, Doug rips his face open and he screams, it's a boy. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. Yeah, but he never complains. He's the perfect angel. I read in an interview that you and uh, Mary Chifo, uh, that you guys were at Juilliard together and uh, you were saying that if if you were to cast for your personalities, maybe your roles would have been reversed, that she she would have played Tilly and you would have played Laurel. I think so. I, th I mean, we've definitely like joked around about that. Also, just for clarity, yes, Mary and I were in the same class at Juilliard, but so was my husband, right. who plays the Andorian Rin. We were delighted to discover that he was your husband as we were watching the show because he really stood out to us. And we were like, wow, who is this guy? Like, who's this the luckiest guy? Because we're always like, how do we get a part on Star Trek Discovery? We've got a long running campaign to get blown out an airlock on Star Trek Discovery. So if you know anybody, you know that we just want to die on Star Trek Discovery. That's our dream. <laughs> I can make that happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Noah kind of felt the same way because Noah is a hardcore fan. Um, too. So he was very much like living his dream come true in his uh, rubber. Were you, were you a, a, a big Trek fan growing up or, or is he the, the Trek fan in the family? Not particularly. Like I'm definitely into tons of nerd ass shit. Uh, this just wasn't <laughs> like in my, you know, quadrant or whatever. Um, but yeah. I had an uncle. I have an uncle who is very, very uh, into Star Trek, reads all the paperback novels, all that stuff. Oh, nice. Got us some Star Trek Christmas ornaments growing up. So my our Christmas tree is covered in Star Trek. I always kind of thought of it as, as his thing. Um, I would watch it on syndication next gen. So that feels more like, but that was like Friends when I was growing up. I feel like just like kind of <laughs> always on, you know? Yeah. Um, so I didn't really get I, into it more until I was more an adult. One thing that... Um... I've noticed about like new Star Trek shows is that they inevitably have blowback. There's always somebody that wants to say, this is not my Star Trek. And then on the other side of it, like becoming a member of the Star Trek family can be something that really like becomes a part of an actor's whole life from that point on. And I, I wonder like how much you thought about those two opposing forces when you took the role. I think about it a lot. It's a really, um, it's a, I don't know, I guess, especially today, it's such a strange thing to be a part of something that has such a massive uh, established fandom. Um, you take on a lot that you don't expect when you're training for what you assume will be a career in regional Shakespeare theater. <laughs> it's not, they're not issues that you expect to have to have with, but absolutely, as soon as you're kind of announced, you're both claimed and looked at with a lot of, um, um, I think with a lot of suspicion, you know, 
Um, and so that can be kind of a tumultuous uh, experience to live inside of. But of course, I think we all know how blessed we are to get the chance to do it. But it is a st- it's definitely something you interface with and that I didn't know I was going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can prepare you from ha- for having Michelle Yeoh throw food at you. Every time, every time she punched me in the face, I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the like regional Shakespeare actor career path is like, I mean, there's like s- some romance in that. When you decided to dedicate your life to acting, were you thinking films? Were you really thinking like kind of theater? Did, did TV enter into that thinking? I uh, 100% imagined theater I mean, of course, like you dream and I like did my fair share of like practicing my Oscar speech in in the mirror. But like, um, (laughs) if I could be a little vulnerable, um, I never thought I would be selected uh, on the basis of my appearance. Like I I just had this idea that um, that there are great actors on film and television, but you have to start with the baseline of being very conventionally attractive um, by these certain by the certain metrics, you know, and um, not to, not to, you know, demean myself or anything, but I would say I am delightfully unconventionally beautiful, you know? So I just assumed that I wouldn't be selected. And even when we were at Juilliard and that felt so much more available than it ever had to me, I just assumed that the very beautiful members of my class would go on to do television and film. And I might have a respectable career, um, you know, uh, in the theater where it's, it's still political, but the, it feels a lot less um, determined by uh, your outward appearance. Um, so it has been a, a, like, again, like everything about this experience has su- surprised me. And I've kept ending up in spaces that I don't know how to handle and didn't anticipate myself. <laughs> they didn't have like a breakout session at Juilliard for what to do if you become interested with an extremely rabid fan base. We don't even do much training in front of a camera. It's really sort of like the last thing you do and it's more in an audition space. So you also have to learn how to be in front of a camera on the job, which is um, which was really intimidating. But I feel very lucky to have gotten to get that experience uh, in a safe space like Star Trek with the people that I'm with. That's a great distinction to bring up. Like it's one thing to act on stage and then act for camera, but then to act for camera on Star Trek is also its own thing. I feel like there should be like an instructional video. So you've been cast on Star Trek. Here, here are some things that you should keep in mind. Don't touch these things. Well, well, one thing that is very fortunate is that, you know, there is so much bringing back of people who have been involved with the series in previous iterations, and they are able to share a lot of of knowledge, you know, just having Frakes on set, um, even from the beginning to put this thing in like the perspective of your entire life. Like these are the people that you will see at conventions for the rest of your life. This is what the show means to people. Um, I think has been really helpful because it's not a position a lot of people end up in, you know? Yeah. One of the things I love about your character is, is how authentic her reactions are. Like when we watch Star Trek The Next Generation on our other podcast, we're always talking about like, shouldn't somebody in the background be going like, this is wild, right? We're going through a what? A wormhole? And I love how much of that energy you put into Tilly. And I was thinking about like how, like 
Star Trek Discovery goes so much further than previous Star Treks have in terms of like you're like always showing up in the mirror universe or jumping forward in time hundreds of years. And like, how do you like as an actor come up with what a authentic reaction to something has out there as that? One thing, it's funny that you should say that, like. I think we actually get criticized for that exact thing. There is a self-awareness in our iteration of Star Trek and maybe like all the Kurtzman Star Treks of of people who are in the moment being like, this is crazy. (laughs) You know, it's like, and that's just sort of a quality of the writing. But I think it's like, it's trying to be authentic to what that experience would really be like. Like if you saw that landing on Mars, you know, a couple of weeks ago and you see those people uh, in the, you know, control room, watching it land successfully the joy and the like what the fuck is happening in that room is really moving and that is the level of the stakes at which these people on this show live all the time so it it feels super disingenuous and fake to not have awe and wonder be a part of the experience of encountering new worlds your character is is so reliable for that like whip panda tilly with like the the quip in the chamber ready to go. And I wonder like how much of Tilly is you and how much of Tilly is what's on the page? Um, So much of Tilly is what's on the page. Um, We're we're very different. Uh, We have very different histories, but there are places that we meet, I think very nicely. You know, like one thing that people have been like discussing about Tilly since like the show started airing was whether or not she was on the autism spectrum. And I thought about that for a long time. Like, Hmm, I wonder what it is about my performance that that, that is kind of reading that way, but I'm very interested in it. And kind of a realization I had is like, Oh, well, you know, I have ADHD, like pretty severely. It's something I've struggled with my whole life. And people think that this might be um, a different neurotype actually these days. So maybe there's something about, like my ADHD brain and how in the moment and hyper-focused I am. So I don't know, that's something that I've been thinking recently, like, oh, maybe there is something about the way that my brain works that causes Tilly's brain to work in a certain way that people are kind of picking up on. So there's definitely like, there is a steep overlap because I can only work with myself, but um, we're also very different, which is important because that way the role can keep being instructive for me. If it were too close, it's just, um, it's like play, but it's not growth. I've wondered about that a lot because you're so great at using profanity. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, Tilly really makes me laugh a lot in those moments. And I and it's always made me wonder like, wow, when you know, when you're writing a character like her, like, are you looking for someone who can like naturally be so razor sharp? And how much of a challenge that might be to someone who may or may not be naturally like that. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know, because I've only ever been myself. Yeah. I think one cool thing that happens in TV, because it's over such an extended period of time, which like most narrative art forms aren't, not like this, not years, you know, is that then you, you start to have an interplay back and forth between the character and the actor. And the actor informs writers and like, you know, there are writers on the show who have been on the show a short amount of time than I have. So they're going to be influenced by my performance. And then that's going to go back to the writer's room. And then their writing is going to influence me. So we get this kind of unique dance. Um, you ever do that till you would never do this moment with a writer? Yeah, like I am an yeah. actor. <laughs> Always comes from the heart. <laughs> yeah. There's a nice way to do it. Absolutely. And that's actually part of our job. That's our input. 
you know, is like, I've guided this person and protected this person through this whole journey. Sonique was really big about that. Like I, I've, I've held the torch for this person. And so my, um, my response to the words is actually useful information for you in terms of what feels natural and organic for this character and what doesn't. Do you have, speaking of Sonequa, like the relationship between Michael and Tilly is like one of the foundational aspects of the show. Like that, it's such a special thing. Do you have conversations with each other and with the writers about like, this isn't just maybe how Tilly would or wouldn't act, but this is not how their relationship is. All the time, but particularly because I think like Sonequa and I work in a different way. Like there are certain things that are really important to us that I think we we share about about storytelling and um and we've totally done that then like particularly there's a thing with Tilly there's a fine line between uh enjoying her differentness in a fun way that she's in on and um putting her down I think everybody on the show would agree like that's not the world we're gonna live in we're not demeaning people for being different you know and and sometimes you you have to, you know, feel out the joking for, okay, does this feel mean or is this kind of in, in good fun? But also like, I don't know, it just goes both ways. It's just a very fluid uh, conversation with the writers. That's really fun and like engaging. It makes your brain itch, you know, it's exciting. It's got to feel so much more rewarding to like participate in the construction of a character as you go, like building the plane as you're flying it almost. Totally. And you totally get put in your place sometimes where somebody's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like speaking of it being a character that you've worked on for years, like what is that like to, you know, if you're a a stage actor, you might play a part that has been in a Shakespeare play for a couple hundred years. And then, you know, there's a it's a totally discreet part that begins and ends when the play begins and ends. And Tilly is kind of a, an open-ended part of your life right now. Like, what does that feel like to have a, a persona that you return to over and over again like that? Well, it's strange, right? Because like so much of getting comfortable as an, a- as an actor is getting comfortable with things constantly changing. And so with these like long-term roles, it's the one time where you, you really st- you stay with something and you have to k- kind of um, keep on yourself to... Um, keep, keep it interesting, keep engaging yourself, you know, keep challenging yourself and asking yourself questions that keeps it alive. And also like the difference between like a Shakespeare play and like, like, or anything in theater is you're just like working. The words are so set in stone, you know, and you treat the text almost like something you're trying to interpret or understand like an archeologist might. And with TV, the language is alive and dynamic in a different way and you talk about it and it changes so it's kind of your you have a more creative role as an actor because you have to be more present to how things change ben that was an interesting question about like returning to a role after like setting it down i wonder if on a show like this mary like i don't know how much you get up front before production for a season begins. But like, are you fairly certain your character isn't going to die when the season begins? Cause that's <laughs> gotta be so scary on a show like discovery where like, this is a show not afraid to kill off characters. Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think, I think a lot of your sense of security comes from what your contract said. Oh, totally. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> like, you know, even Noah's experience coming on the show. Um, he was like, well, how long do I get to live? 
Yeah. <laughs> Do I get to live or am I dying? You know, and it's like, that's kind of part of the experience. Um, I, I feel a certain level of security, but I think it must be, you know, just like having a job on Game of Thrones, I guess. It's like. Right. <laughs> Do people find out at the table read? Is it that dramatic? Like, I would hope not. No, we, I think people try to keep things a bit more humane than that. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's also just like a, an actor's life. I mean, I've played recurring characters on other shows and you never know if you're going to come back or not. Um, yeah. And so you kind of have to live in that unknown. That's actually one thing that having prosthetic makeup is good for, because even if you kill off that character, you could potentially be cast as a different prosthetic yeah makeup alien <laughs> you know people we fall in love with if you're an alien we always say well you can come back as your real <laughs> and if you are playing a human we're like you can come back as an alien <laughs> <laughs> did you get to meet grudge on the set what do you think of when you think of male grooming maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? 
Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I sure did. What is Grudge like? Um, He uh, is a cat. <laughs> um, imagine a cat. He's like that. Yeah, but bigger. Actually, kind of mostly fluff. I would say 50% fluff. I think there's actually two of them now and they're brothers, but they're so cute. I'm a cat person, so I'm, I, yeah. I was very into that day. You didn't have to name names, but is anyone not a cat person on the show or allergic or anything? Some people have struggled with grudge because a cat is not meant to be an actor. Yeah. It's <laughs> an evolutionary level. <laughs> Does he have a very Star Trek looking box to use when it's time to use the box? He definitely has some like advanced gear. I bet. Yeah, I was impressed. I don't even know where you buy this sort of cat accoutrement. <laughs> Top of the line. Those are glossy floors. That The litter's going to show up if, if grudge tracks it in. You got to be careful. <laughs> One thing that happened in season three that uh, like, I mean, there's some of this in seasons one and two, but really like they took it to the next level with the visual effects in season three is so much of the stuff that you're touching is like not really there. It's like a, it's like an interface that comes three dimensionally toward your hand or whatever. How much about like what that is supposed to look like? Do you know ahead of time or are they just having you pantomime interacting with the air and then they fill it in, in a way that looks good? Usually someone, especially if you're interested, there'll always be somebody who's like super excited to show you the VisFX stuff and <laughs> show you what everything is going to look like. And it really is helpful to 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 know um, because it can be quite surprising how things are going to turn out. But uh, <laughs> so funny because like <laughs> we went to the future, it makes things so much harder. <laughs> Pick up a tricorder and scan something. Now it's like a 20 minute discussion where everyone's like, so when I do the tricorder, <laughs> do I pull it out of my left shoulder or my right shoulder? And you have to like choreograph every every single thing. And it's really challenging, actually. Did I read that you guys now have that technology where you have like a virtual, like a screen behind you that's showing like a live render of like the surface of a planet or a, the inside of a spaceship or something? Yeah, we have like the same thing the Mandalorian has, an AR wall, and it is crazy. If you're like trying to inhabit the authentic reality of a character and you're mostly walking around in front of a green screen, like how much of a challenge it is to like imagine your surroundings like that. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. You know, <laughs> you have to imagine a lot of stuff as an actor, like a whole other person, you know, <laughs> right? trying to believe in the emotional reality of your character and the reality they found themselves in. And then layering on top of that, the whole world is green, but you have to imagine it's a castle is right. a challenge. So getting to work with tangible stuff is always a, is always really 
really fun. To that end, like the sets on Discovery are so beautiful. And when you guys are on them, I'm just, I just like want to be there and like touch all of the, the computer screens and look at all the props. Like, how does that feel as an actor to walk onto those? Yeah, it's very practical. Like, um, you feel like you're on a ship. You know, when you're on the bridge, it's like it, uh, it doesn't feel like a studio because there's things in front behind you on the sides. So um, I think it really helps the acting because I don't know. It, it just you're so immersed. I think that's like and that is such a far cry from having to do green screen work, you know, where it's like everything is imagined which actually is like, I'm kind of grateful to get to work both muscles. Is it difficult? This is one of the things we asked Anson Mao about, like it's one thing to like deliver a line and inhabit a character, but like it's quite another thing to know where your hands go in the context of a bridge station. Like how thoughtful are you about like, my hand needs to be in the right place. And also because it's made out of the weird refrigerator door material, it's gonna leave fingerprints if I don't do it right. And like, <laughs> how much, how in your head do you get about like all of that minutia? Cannot tell you what my hands are doing. Find some inner justification for whatever I'm like, making up in front of me. <laughs> and it's all like nonsense. I will say Sonequa, like very strangely, like she knows what button you press for black alert. Like she- Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Everything means something to her, you know, and she remembers it every time. You know, you you are always worried about whether it looks fake or not. And recently, Blue, uh, who plays Adira, and I were um, were like at a station <laughs> next to each other in a crisis, which we're always in a crisis. And we started just <laughs> playing tic tac toe, and that <laughs> looks very realistic and also is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> that rules. Oh man, I'm gonna That's be looking awesome. for that scene. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned being on the bridge, and I want to ask a very a couple of bridge-specific questions. One is that uh, we have a term on the show that we call the 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 thing that happens that makes the crew shake. We call those bangers. <laughs> and I'm wondering if when you get ready for a scene, like the way that that moment is directed to you, like how is that communicated in such a way that you can take your banger in a direction that is specific for that moment versus the banger that you experienced in the last episode? How does that work? Usually it's just somebody screaming left. <laughs> uh, so that's usually how we do it. But sometimes they'll be like, big bang. <laughs> <laughs> so, give us a little nuance from which to work off of. Of course, like yeah. Frank's, Frank's is at the helm. He's just truly screaming at the top of his lungs and actually frightening everyone. That's got to be so fun to have him yell at you about this. It's so fun. You get that real like Veritas uh, footage of uh, fear in the actor's eyes. Um, <laughs> the same situation I was talking about with Blue. Like they do use these like crazy explosion uh, effects um, and there's one that's like super super loud uh, that just scares you it doesn't matter like how prepared you are for it your amygdala just like blasts off and you're just freaked and um, they're authentically terrified in that moment yeah <laughs> uh, you and Sonequa have both sat in the big chair the last season and I wanted to know if it was adjustable in any way, like a barber's chair. Um, no, it's not adjustable in any way. Um, there is this one thing, though. There's like this console on the side of it when they built it. Did Anson talk about this? Not specifically. I don't think we no. got into the chair much when we yeah. talked to him. Whoever designed the chair was like, oh, 
<laughs> I have this amazing idea. <laughs> a button. So this iPod thing that's like tucked into it raises if you touch the button, like, you know, the future. But actually what's happened is just that button has ruined like 50% of the takes we've ever <laughs> If anybody gets up, they press the button and the thing goes up and it so That's great. Oh, man. And it swivels. You got to have that. I really loved the the arc that Tilly had this season, this past season. Uh, she has been looking at that you know, command training program for such a long time and then finally kind of had an opportunity for it. And um, I, I, I loved that kind of giddy excitement and nervousness and not knowing how it was going to play with the rest of the crew uh, that she went through. And it it felt so real to me. And I wonder um, what, what you do to like prepare for something like that. Like how do you, um, how do you prepare a character to like get, what she wants finally or get a taste of what she wants finally and be nervous to do it. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. Like preparation wise, the, the stuff I'm most interested in is like the stuff that happens on the day. I think that's where the art is. That, that's like where our art happens is always in the moment on the day. Um, and so for me, it's always about being as like receptive and open as it, as it can be to the text and to what's happening in the scene, what everybody else is giving me. But I do think that, um, so, so because I work that way, usually I'm like working with stuff that I have easy access to, but I get into trouble when I, my character is experiencing something very different from things I've experienced. So with Tilly, particularly this season, it was a challenge for me because I haven't been in a lot of leadership positions in my life. I don't really know what that means. It's not something I'm super interested in. Um, and so like I kept uh it was a ch it would be a challenge like an interesting challenge for me because like what is bravery what is being a leader for me as an actor I always want to have this like very free access to my emotions but actually when you're a leader you kind of need to stem that off a bit um and access something else to inspire others and to make others feel safe so so all that stuff kind of happened on the day and actually Tunde um who is like the heart of the show, the executive producer slash director who directs like, you know, the pilot and the finale, like he's amazing. Tune really helped me in that uh, 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 as we shot this season, accessing that. And as, as a leader himself, he kind of educated me on how it's kind of different than when you're following, how you have to access different parts of yourself. So that was really fun. So I'd say that that's how I prepared was actually trying to take some advice from, from actual people who actually, you know, kind of have to lead and, you know, put on a strong face and stuff. Well, it really, uh, it really worked for me. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was so great and, and, and really touching to see the character grow as much as she did in season three. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Uh, one of the ways that we end all of our shows is by is by choosing a drunk Shimoda character. Back when we were doing a show about nothing but Star Trek The Next Generation, we'd nominate a character from every episode as the drunk Shimoda. This is named for a character in The Naked Now. You might remember him. He's the guy that yanked out all the isolinear chips and made a Jenga castle out of them. He's basically the character who's having the most fun, irrespective of how serious everyone else is taking the situation. Uh -huh. And so every episode we, we pick someone out 
to call the drunk Shimoda. And, and we called this person the Edward Larkin on all of the new Star Trek episodes. But I thought you should know that uh, Sylvia Tilly is third in our rankings of drunk Shimodas on The Greatest Discovery. And that leads me to the question, who is your personal drunk Shimoda on the show that, that you've worked with there? Who is clearly having the most fun? Who keeps it the lightest? And it can be in front of or behind the camera. Yeah. Who, who on the show? Well, first, I just want to say thank you. Uh, this has been a lifelong dream of mine being rated number three and whatever <laughs> just said. <laughs> I should have thought about how insulting that would be. Um, well, I would say it would have to be both, I think, on and behind the camera. It's got to be Dignitaro. Yeah. Wow. Shows up. <laughs> <laughs> She tries her best. <laughs> can't get any of the space talk because it's she can't remember and just says whatever. She, her character's name is Jet Reno. She once introduced herself as Janet Reno. <laughs> the most like, I don't know, Falstaffian Tom Bombadillian character for me, both in front of and behind the camera. I adore wow. and stan all things Dignitaro. God, that rules. That's so good. <laughs> That's the best answer and the best reason, too. <laughs> oh, and she's so good on the show. It's like crazy. Yeah. Mary, do you have any like uh, projects that you want to plug or anything you hope we could mention here at the end? You could check out uh, Baskets on FX. It's a show that doesn't exist anymore, but was really good. And I'm really proud of my work on it. Uh, and it's a little different. Um from Star Trek Discovery. So maybe check that out. Or uh, my episode of Room 104. I'm really proud of that one too. Cool. Done. Well, thank you so, so, so much for joining us on The Greatest Discovery. It's uh, it's really been such a thrill to to get to talk to you after watching you uh, make one of our favorite Star Trek characters of all time for three seasons now. Nice. That's so nice. Well, it's such a pleasure to be on. You guys are so cool. And um, this wasn't nearly as scary as I um, was scared it would be. Boy, that was a lot of fun. Wow. I liked hearing it all over again because it confirmed how well I thought the interview went. <laughs> One thing that was going on that I think is just us not using, like we, we've we never used Zoom for mm -hmm. podcast production, but we did that interview over Zoom and yeah. it was like ducking her audio when... For, I. I had the experience of every time I laughed, I stopped being able to hear what she was saying. Yeah, I didn't like that. You laugh a lot, too. It was making me very self-conscious about laughing because I was like, oh, no, like, will, will the listeners not be able to hear? And at a certain point, Rob's like, I think could tell I was worried and texted me like, hey, don't worry, I'm getting, like, clean audio from her end. So. It's always really nice to to do an interview and not feel like, the subject is like doing you a favor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Mary was super thoughtful in answering the questions that we had and super game for just being silly about being on a science fiction show and like yeah. all of the challenges that are associated with, with doing that. And uh, I don't know, like she just, like we've done interviews before with actors on Star Trek and every one of them has a totally unique spin on the experience. And that's been really delightful to learn as we go. I wonder how much they cast for fun hang, you know? You hope. Because like 
we keep I, I feel like our experience pretty universally has been when we have gotten a chance to exchange words with somebody who has been in, involved in Star Trek at pretty much any level. They've been just like really awesome. I'm glad that's been the case so far. Really. We got a good thing going here. <laughs> ben? We sure do. We're uh, we're looking forward to hearing back from Mary about being blown out of that airlock. Uh, mm-hmm. She, I think, I think she combined with several others are working nonstop <laughs> toward that end. I'm hoping her work doesn't suffer because she's concentrating so hard on that. Yeah, and I'm ho- I'm I'm just hoping that like enough people are aware of the ask that uh you know when they are on set going like how are we gonna get a couple of guys to blow out this airlock. <laughs> They they realize like oh I know the perfect two guys yeah yeah those guys that called Saru's fingers dog dicks <laughs> those guys get them up here <laughs> we love them <laughs> two of the greats to reiterate the promise is we will we will pay our own plane tickets to Toronto yes we will part ourselves up in Toronto. Yes. We will donate 100% of whatever you have to pay us according to union rules to yep. charity. Absolutely. And uh, and and we will be super chill and respectful on set. You don't have to get us a trailer. We'll go we'll uh, we'll, we'll hang out outside. Yeah. It's simple arithmetic. <laughs> this, is, this is the way to do it, Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> Well, Adam, that is uh, that is it for this week's episode of the Greatest Discovery. I think next week's episode we're gonna we're gonna give the folks another episode week after week this time because it's the Max Fun Drive and uh, extra extra. And we got bribed in a in a recent Priority One message to review an episode of Futurama. Yeah, it's called Where No Fan Has Gone Before. Yeah, that's gonna be great. I love Futurama. Futurama rules. Yeah. Um, well, so that'll be what we do for uh, the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. That'll be next week. A, a, a surprise uh, weekly episode during the off season. Only because we want your money. Nom, 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 nom. Hey, so does Rob's. And, yeah. uh, here he is to make the case. <laughs> It's Max Fun Drive time again. And you know what that means. Special gifts, bonus content from your favorite podcasts, and of course, the incredible feeling you get knowing you're helping support the greatest discovery. So go on and indulge yourself. That's right. Pledge $5 or more at MaximumFun.org. Put your feet up. Lean back and enjoy. Because I'm personally thankful to you and all of the friends of DeSoto who support us at MaximumFun.org. After all, podcasts soothe the savage beast. Hey, but on a more personal note, the Max Fun Drive is an incredible time of year where I get to see results from the podcasts I've made. And without the help of the supporters... I wouldn't be able to make these podcasts. I wouldn't be able to put the time and effort into these discovery episodes that they deserve. And they deserve the time I put into them. So thank you. I was just going through a collage of old podcast photos and just to see the progression of my own work and worth and value has been incredible. And... 
Hey, thank you again. It means the world. So yes, head to MaximumFun.org slash join and pledge your support to all things Trek-related and other podcasts you might like. And thanks again, Mary, for being a guest on the show. It's a long time coming, and we really, really appreciated it. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our music is by Adam Ragusia, who has a great YouTube page you should check out. Our social media is run by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Go follow us on all of the major channels, as well as Twitch, where you can see us do live video game streams, among other fun antics. It's the Max Fun Drive, so here's your last reminder to go to MaximumFun.org join and pledge your support to the greatest discovery and the greatest generation. Do it now, please. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.